Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol two man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay, two retired Los Angeles deputy sheriffs. We are here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary and faithful sons of the church, no matter what happens. Paul, good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Jess. I'm getting a little feedback. I don't know if you're hearing that or not. Okay, just one away. I turned off my uh, microphone, uh, my speakers. I think it was my speakers. So, what's on the rundown today? Today, we're going to talk about. Uh, first of all, I want to just mention that the month of October, according to the Catholic tradition, dedicates each month of the year to a certain devotion. The month of October is dedicated to the Holy Rosary, and it's one of the best known of all Catholic devotions. I uh, prayed my rosary this morning. I, I try to get it first thing in the morning when I get up with my other morning prayers. October also includes the Feast of Our Lady of, of the Rosary, October 7th, that great military victory that we beat the Muslims at the Battle of Lepanto. So the best way to celebrate this month is, of course, to pray the daily rosary. And unfortunately, in some parishes, the recitation of the rosary may not be as prevalent today as it was in the past. Uh, however, uh, one of the things that I have found is that the rosary is a great teaching tool and it's making a comeback. All right. So, today on The Rundown, I uh, want to talk about, uh, years ago, Paul, it's, it was interesting. You could see under Pope Benedict XVI, under Pope John Paul II, there was this constant clash between the Vatican and the UN. I mean, we were at loggerheads. Uh, mm. But now, not so much. Now the Vatican seems to be friends with the UN. But I want to share with you an old article to show you the friction that existed for decades and decades between the Vatican and the United Nations. I, I believe the United, I personally believe that United Nations is an evil institution. Uh, and so this article that we're going to share with you is called What's Behind the UN Attack on the Church? This was back in 2014. As I said, prior popes would stand up to the United Nations. But under Pope Francis, the Vatican and the, and the UN, it appears like they've, be, they've uh, become friends. And, and we've said many times, or not only us, the Bible, James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Close quote. So this article is just about 10 years old, but it describes a time when the Catholic Church was the enemies of the United Nations. But those days are long gone, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seemingly so, Jess. And uh, again, uh, some might view that as progress. Hey, the church is reaching out and getting pretty cozy with the world. But the reality is, is the world has always been in opposition with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has been a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling for the world. And now he's a, he's a stone of stumbling to the modernists in the world, Paul, to the, the modernist Catholics. So 
Uh, It says here, as faithful Catholics continue to contend with last week's incendiary United Nations report attacking the church for her teachings on contraception, abortion, and homosexuality, it may be time to to look closely at the real agenda at the United Nations. Remember, this this article was written in 2014. So we're just trying to show Mm -hmm. that we used to be at odds with the UN, but that's not the case anymore. The article says, for more than two decades, the UN has dedicated itself to attempting to diminish the influence of the church on life issues. We need to understand why. In an October 2013 crisis article entitled Kicking the Church Out of the UN, Austin Roos, the president of Catholic Family and Human Rights Institute, suggests that the reason for the hostility directed at the church is because the church has obstructed the goals of the population control zealots at the UN. Quote, starting at the Cairo conference in 1994, the church has been able to block an international right to abortion. The Holy See has consistently handed the Catholics for choice, funded by George Soros, by the way, it's a a fake Catholic organization funded by George Soros, they just use that name. The Norwegians, the United Nations Population Fund, and all other uglies at the UN defeat after defeat. Yeah, those were the days. I remember I used to keep up with Pope Benedict, John Paul II. They were always firing, uh, you know, salvos uh, over at the UN and winning. And we were winning. It says here, it's likely that last week's UN committee on the rights of the child report was payback. Despite its non-voting status at the United Nations, the Holy See has stood as a major barrier to the UN goal of universal access to abortion and contraception for young girls and women throughout the world. While the church was unable to convince all countries, including the U.S., of the evils of abortion, the Vatican as a sovereign state continues to play an important role at the negotiating table in the areas in areas in which the church has a stake in helping to ensure the right to life and the dignity of the person. Mm. Isn't it interesting, Jess, how um, the spiritual world is all, you know, I should say the natural world, the physical world is a reflection of the spiritual world. So as Satan does his best to try to extinguish eternal life and the possibility of so for so many, at least in heaven with God, true life uh, in the natural world, you know, the focus is on the right to life. And, you know, uh, Satan is doing his best to destroy life wherever he can. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, these lines that are drawn, the church taking a stand, defending life against the United Nations, um, who is run by a bunch of people who want to uh, use population control. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the devil... Yeah, because the devil, he uh, he knows that man is created in the image of God. He knows uh, how precious the little ones are to God. And so, once again, it's pretty clear uh, that we are always going to be at odds with the world because the world or the zeitgeist, that worldview is always taking us and moving us toward the culture of death, euthanasia, abortion. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, exactly. And, and Paul, we, we we also, you know, we know about that phrase where people say politics is downstream from culture. W- what that means is that culture is so powerful that culture 
it, 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 it fundamentally impacts politics and it changes politics. Politics is always looking, they always, yeah. they lick their finger in the wind and see where the culture is going. And so yeah. the, the, the politicians always want to line themselves up with what's going on in the zeitgeist in the culture. So that, that's what it means when we say politics is downstream from culture is that, uh, is that culture has a powerful impact to shape politics and politics always wants to be in the side of culture. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, uh, so if you think that somehow the Republican party, you know, is going to save us, <laughs> yes, again, Yeah. because um, I'm not saying there aren't individuals within the party who line up, you know, their, their ideas and their ideology line up uh, pretty good with the, the way we think, but the reality is, is that uh, uh, there is a word we call rhinos, right, Jess? Where yeah, basically these politicians are just, you know, they they move uh, like water and they take the shape of uh, whatever uh, you know a vessel that they're poured into, and so that's what you see a lot in politics. You see, like you said, politicians are looking to see what's popular, or you know, what can I, you know, how far can I go. They just want to stay popular. They just want to stay in power. Yep. And uh, somebody just sent me this uh, on, on my phone. It's, it's, it, it says, uh, Republicans think it is the 1980s America, and there's nothing to worry about. Democrats think it's the 1930s Germany, and their opponents must be crushed. Both are wrong, wow. but only one is fighting to win. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, but again... Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, this, this world that's presented to us and, you know, the fact that, you know, we have challenges, it's, it's challenging for us to live our faith with so many attacks and so much against us, but it was challenging for our Lord, right? He, he was the stone that the builders rejected. And so if we're going to follow him, Jess, we can expect more of the same. If we're going to listen to sacred scripture that tells us that, that as we get closer toward the end, people's love will grow cold. And that's what we see. We see the love of the Lord growing cold by the church itself. Yeah, that's that's right. And uh, that that's why, again, in, the, in Zechariah chapter... Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8. Here's a verse I think that most people have probably never seen before where it talks about, uh, it says that two-thirds of the people will perish. And it says one-third mm. of, the, of the people will be saved. That's Zechariah chapter 13, 13 verse 8 and 9. Uh, and, and when you look at that verse and you compare it to what you see around in society, you're saying, wow, this is, I mean, the absolutely accurate description of what we're seeing right now. Uh, the love of many, Paul, just growing cold. And I'll tell you, a lot of people, unfortunately, they fall into what's called the heresy of Americanism. The heresy of Americanism is yes. putting politics before religion. And a lot of Catholic, Catholic leftists do that. They put their politics before their religion. We'll, we'll come back and continue talking about the United Nations we used to fight against them not so much we'll be right back now 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. Paul, as I look at this article... <clears throat> The Catholic Church all my life used to be at, basically used to be at odds with the United Nations. We would fight mm-hmm. against them. The popes would stand up against them. And we would constantly be winning. Uh, the, the church had a lot of influence. But as I'm looking at, uh, at this article, this is, this is nostalgia. It's, that's, uh, that's a thing of the past. This article is 10 years old. Mm-hmm. It describes a time when the Catholic Church was enemies with the UN, always fighting against them and, and winning. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'll tell you, one of the things about the United Nations, <clears throat> even when you look at this article, their big thing has always been to pump third world countries, especially Africa, with contraception, abortion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just everything to depopulate Africa. Homosexuality, homosexuality agenda. And I'll tell you, these third world countries in Africa and other places, they've had a boatload of common sense. They, they follow the natural <laughs> law. They've just resisted the UN. They've resisted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the UN will tell them and the US will tell them, we'll give you umpteen millions and millions of dollars if you just start, you know, giving b- the boys condoms in school and putting good girls on Depro Provera and, uh, you know, t- teaching homosexual. Uh, you know, LGBT ideology and, uh, and start uh, having abortions. And, and, and a lot of these third world countries, they just resist the United Nations. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible because again, uh, the bribe, the bribe is so big from the UN and from the U S uh, that uh, we have, we have a far reach, we have a far reaching um, effect because of the, you know, the, the financial wherewithal that we have. But God bless a lot of these countries around the world that have resisted time and time again the United Nations bribery. You know, Jess, there's a I see it like there's a spirit of that that eugenics, right? Uh, you know, they want to pick and choose, you know, the the peoples that have a right to live. Now, you can remember when it was uh coming from the hard right, I'll say, that that idea, you know, homosexuals and, and different people like that, people who had maybe different physical handicaps, those were the people or, or what they would deem as idiots, right? Those are the people that they wanted to extinguish. But now that the left has seized power, <laughs> the people that they want to extinguish are people like us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? They want to, they want to control you know, um, our population, because they see us as rightly so counterculture. We're, we're counterculture to their culture because they want to build the culture, you know, uh, right along the lines of, uh, uh, you know, the Antichrist. Remember, the natural man, by by nature, you know, he uh, he does not receive the things of God and he's not even able to. And so, uh this is clearly, clearly, when you look at sacred scripture, when you look at God's revelation to us, we, uh, uh, you know, the battle lines are drawn and you can clearly see, uh, you know, the line of Cain, the wicked line of Cain and the, and, and, and the, and the godly line of Seth going at it, you know? Yes. Uh, something else very interesting that some of the church fathers 
they they talked about they envisioned a restored Roman Empire. I know uh, Saint yeah. Irenaeus Saint Irenaeus talked about it back in the second century, a restored Roman Empire. Saint Hippolytus, another second century father, he also talked about a restored Roman Empire uh, in the latter days that'll be an enemy of God. To me, the only institution that has a far-reaching effect like the ancient Roman Empire in its heyday would be the United Nations. And so to mm. me, when I read St. Hippolytus, when I read St. Irenaeus, <clears throat> and uh, again, they envision this restored Roman Empire uh, as, 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 a, as this place that's going to be, that's going to have incredible influence, the seat of influence throughout the world. To me, that, that only speaks of the United Nations today. Uh, and and to me, everything that the Roman Empire is doing or, or that the United Nations is trying to do, all the culture of death, yeah. uh, all the culture of death pieces of legislation that they're trying to promote throughout the world, uh, this this is the perfect seat for the Antichrist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This oh, is, no and, doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. And this has been set up, again, this has been set up by man. And uh, again, I just got to kudos to those countries that have been resisting for decades. They've re been resisting this uh, the, this U.N. money, even the U.S. money. One of the things that's sad to say, Paul, is that our is that our country's become it's become an evil country. Uh, it's it's yeah. we become a wicked, a wicked nation. And I say that as yeah. somebody who, who loves this country and was born here. But I got to call a spade a spade. Uh, <laughs> things that the things that we're that we're doing in this country, uh, there's no other way to describe it other than wicked. Well, it's like anything, Jess, uh, you know, God gives us free will, right? And so we're free, we can choose for good or we can choose for the bad. It's unfortunately, though, that the people who have been running our country of late have chosen evil. They're, you know, they're choosing to fatten their own pockets. They're, they, they will sell out uh, the nation any cost and uh, God and Honoring God is is the last thing on their mind for the most part. Obviously, there's exceptions to every rule. Yeah, and uh, it, when when I see when I just take a look at the landscape right now, it, I just, I'm just reminded of some of the great quotes from Fulton Sheen, where he says uh, back in 1967, he said, "In politics, the conflict of the future will be between a God religion and a state religion." between Christ and mm. the Antichrist, but in political disguise. The state religion that Fulton Sheen's talking about, to me, that's the United Nations. This is the state religion. Oh, yeah. This is this, uh, this is the religion of the Antichrist in, in political disguise. <clears throat> and, and of course, another very famous quote from Fulton Sheen, he says, the Antichrist will not be so called, otherwise he would have no followers. In other words, he's saying, the Antichrist is not going to, go by that title in other words because then nobody's going to follow him but fulton sheen says the antichrist will come disguised as a great humanitarian hmm he will talk peace prosperity and and plenty not as a means to lead us to god but as ends in themselves the antichrist will tempt hmm. christians with the same three temptations with which he tempted Christ. He will have one great secret, 
which he will tell no one. He will not believe in God because his religion will be brotherhood without the fatherhood of God. He will deceive mm. even the elect. He will set up a counter church. He will have all the notes and characteristics of the church, but in reverse and emptied of its divine content. It will be a mm -hmm. mystical body of the Antichrist that will fill in all externals and will resemble, notice, resemble, resemble the mystical body of Christ. Uh, mm. He calls it the ape of the church. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, just uh, these things, these people that are moving towards this, uh, you just kind of wonder. They, they've fallen for this deception. Uh, yeah, there's a reason why Terry says Bishop Sheen is the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> you know, Arch, <laughs> I mean, they, Terry's right on point when he, you know, that's his favorite line. And I just have, I happen to agree with him. Uh, the, yeah. you know, the, God gave him, uh, uh, just unusual, uh, ability to really, you know, prophesy about what the future was going to be like. And, uh, sure enough, we're here. Yeah, we're here. And, uh, again, th this article, I know it's 10 years old, but as I read it and I see that the things that the United Nations we're trying to pass 10, 20 years ago. They're still doing it today, Paul. They're relentless. It hasn't stopped. Here's one. Well, they're trying. Yeah. Here's, trying it, to... it is, okay, it is likely. Ahead. It is likely that the United Nations will continue its commitment to expand access to abortion and contraception and removing the taboos that surround homosexuality throughout the world. The Catholic Church is one of the few remaining barriers to this expansion. There will be continued attacks and the church needs to prepare for them as the United Nations will continue to attempt to diminish the authority of the Catholic Church by resurrecting old clergy sex abuses and inflating statistics on past misdeeds by priests. Uh, well, you know, yeah. we we brought a lot. The church has brought a lot upon, well, the leaders of the church, the clergy, as a result of the sexual scandals that erupted in 2002, the church has lost a lot of her moral authority with the world. And that was by design, Paul. The, the, the devil planted homosexuals within the church that can't keep their pants on. Uh, they began uh, sexually abusing, uh, you know, uh, males. And, uh, and now the world says, don't listen to that church. They have no credibility. They're just like we are. Mm -hmm. But now what do you hear coming from the church, Jess? Uh, or I should say those in leadership of the church, you know, they are trying to embrace, uh, uh, you know, the LGBTQ um, ideology, you know, things that offend God. And so with all the things that have happened in the past and, and the offenses, uh, you know, no more than a decade or two ago, when the church was, you know, under fire, uh, and rightly so, you know, for the things that occurred. Now the church seems to be enjoying a, a, a sense of popularity within the, the culture. Um, you don't see so much, uh, um, you know, focus on those things. Those things are, you know, they're part of the past. The church is moving on. Uh, you know, you hear a bunch of people that aren't even Catholic that, that say, oh, I, you know, I, you know, I never did like the Catholic church, but I love this current pope. You know, oh, he's yeah. such a great man, you know, yeah. you know, you hear that over and over and over again. And I can't help 
but remember the words of Christ that, you know, as we get closer and closer, you know, you know, there's going to be a falling away of the faith. And he's not talking about the world because there's no, you know, you don't expect to find faith in the world. He's talking about within the church. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Paul. And uh, I think one of the th one of the reasons is that there's a well, we see the mass falling away from the church. The current statistics right now, before the before the COVID nineteen, you know, about three three years ago, uh, you, you had you had about uh, you know it, it, we're in the like twenty three to twenty five percent of Catholics were going to mass on Sunday before COVID. Mm -hmm. Right now, right mm -hmm. now, it's eighteen percent. It's eighteen. Mm -hmm. And before Vatican II, by the way, before 1965, three out of four, 75% of Catholics in the U.S. were going to Mass on Sunday. 75%, yeah. three out of four. Before COVID, 23 to 25%. Today, right now, about 18% of Catholics are going to Mass on Sunday. And that doesn't mean that they're in a state of grace, by the way. We'll be back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car. Let's be frank about our future. 50 years ago, the percentage of religiously unaffiliated Americans was about 5% of the population, meaning that in just two generations, that cohort has increased 500%. And most of that has wow. just been in the last 25 years. The religiously unaffiliated, also known as nuns, today account for one for about one quarter of American adults or about 59 million people. The majority of those are what sociologist Stephen Bullivant calls in his new book, Nonverts. Those who go from identifying with a religion to identifying as a nun. And 16 million of these nonverts were raised Catholic. Do you have any serious proposal for bringing those millions of nonvert Catholics back to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church? The author Casey Chalk says, I sure don't. What we're looking at, I'd submit, is an unprecedented catastrophe in American Catholicism. And if anyone tries to sell you an easy way out of this crisis, well, brother, I've got some swamp land in Florida to sell you. Bullivant <laughs> writes, if this book contains any single summarizable argument, it is that the USA is in the midst of a social, cultural, and religious watershed. One that today's Americans are not merely living through, but millions have actively lived out in their own stories. Hopefully... The above numbers are enough evidence to appreciate the force of that argument. But if not, here's more. 50 years ago, the percentage of religiously unaffiliated Americans was about 5% of the population. Meaning that in just two generations, that cohort has increased 500%. And most of that has been just in the last 25 years. And it's not just the number of nuns are precipitously rising. The proportion of the U.S. population 
who are what we call committed religious persons is experiencing a commensurate crash. Paul, you want to pick it up right there? What happened? Paul, you want to pick it up? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Boulevard believes a combination of factors in the 90s and early and early aughts coalesce to explain this massive societal shift. The end of the Cold War brought the demise of the atheist, communist boogeyman, which had served as a foil to reinforce American Christian, Christian identity. The sexual revolution's antagonism toward traditional morality and the acceptance of that revolution's major tenets among middle America undermined the authority of religious institutions. Furthermore, Islamic extremism after 9-11 gave the so-called new atheists almost limitless ammunition to, ex to expend against uh, religious belief uh, writ large. And the digital age exposed people to new ideas while fostering online communities for people to question and ultimately repudiate the faith of their youth. One of the most striking features of the internet, says Boulevard, is the endless possibilities it throws up to find a tribe, no matter how esoteric one's interests are. Secular media and the entertainment industry, of course, aggravated many of these trends. This reminds me of the social reality that existed as recently as my undergraduate days 20 years ago. Religion and specifically Christianity used to be held in esteem by the general populace. Yes, if you were particularly outspoken about your faith, you might be considered uh, eccentric. But as long as you were perceived as faithful and not hypocritical, religious adherence had engendered a certain um, a certain uh, begrudging respect, even for many uh, irreligious. Today, religious observance carries less extra uh, ecclesial uh, social capital if not often negative capital. Evangelicals, for example, are viewed with condescending uh, appropriate by our elite class. Just um, and so, let me tell so you are, something. So are traditional pro-life Catholics. The evangelicals and traditional pro-life Catholics are the ones that are looked down upon by the left right now. Well, yeah, and, but not only the left, Jess, uh, it, it's you know you see this 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 war going on within the church. The church is filled with people on the right and people on the left, and the people on the left right now fought, have probably always, but well, not I don't know about always, but they they far outnumber those on the right. They far outnumber those who value tradition. They, like I said, they have engendered the spirit of the world. They, 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 they've absorbed that these ideas. They don't think there's there's a lot of Catholics in the pew that don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, you know, homosexual love. Um, we're in trouble. We're in trouble from and like and like this uh, author says, Jess, 
this has happened quick. When we were kids, uh, the, you know, the church was completely different. Uh, and, and before that, the generation before that, our parents, it was completely different. So, you know, as I think about all these things, I just know that uh, we're, we're tracking in the wrong direction. We're tracking towards um, uh, this, this treaty, this peace treaty that the church is making with the world. It's almost like the church is surrendering. It's, uh, you know, yeah, and, and that's the mandate to go out and to uh, you know, teach all that Christ commanded. Pope Paul the Sixth, interesting enough, he actually he said, Pope Paul the Sixth actually said back in the six uh, in the seventies before he died, he said that the church is undergoing self demolition. Self, he said that right before he died. The Catholic Church is undergoing self demolition. This is Pope Paul the Sixth, who definitely was not you know yeah. somebody somebody who was uh, what you would call you know. Uh, uh, extremely on the right guardian of tradition yeah right yeah not exactly a guardian of tradition right he said before he died the church is undergoing auto uh, in fact i'll get the entire quote right now look i'll get i'll grab it but um, the article also says and nonverts unsurprisingly can be quite antagonistic towards christianity as they often feel invested in repudiating what they have abandoned this will undoubtedly influence the future of American politics as the nuns question why religious groups, which they view as intolerant, backward, and even harmful, are given special privileges and immunity from various laws. It seems likely that America's growing pool of nonverts means we can expect many more of these controversies both in the courts and in the wider culture. Boulevard's chapter on ex-Catholics, including quotations from several interviews, is sad, if not terribly surprising. Nonvert Catholics offer complaints about the sexual abuse scandal, about the church being absurdly, absurdly rich and corrupt, about it promoting archaic, patriarchal, and oppressive dogmas. But lapsed Catholics love Pope Francis because he is, in their view, a tolerant, progressive, and reform-minded pontiff. Nevertheless, as many commentators have noted, the so-called Francis effect has not lured many of these people back to the pews. What then is to be done? Mainline Protestantism has at least taught us one lesson. Trying to accommodate the church or the culture won't do us much good. The so-called seven sisters of American Protestantism have been doing that for generations with embarrassing rates of failure. Some of these denominations have lost almost half their members just in the last decade. As Dartmouth historian Randall Balmer observes, mainline Protestantism is so careful not to offend that its very blandness has become an affront. It would seem that the more churches adapt, especially the, uh, that adapt themselves to the populations less interested in attending church, the quicker their demise. Mainline Protestantism mm. has at least taught us one lesson. Trying to accommodate the church to the culture won't do much good. One thing Bullivant only briefly discusses is that the rejection of Christianity reflects a broader sociocultural trend, the abandonment of all civic institutions. As Robert Putnam argues in his classic Bowling Alone, we have witnessed a profound atomization of the American polis, polis as its citizens reject it, reject organized social institutions, be they softball teams or PTA. It's not just our churches that are, that are crumbling, but civil society more broadly as America tor turns inward, 
That means our crisis is even more acute than a failure of our churches, as disastrous as that alone is. It is the failure of the very nation itself. Distrust, conflict, anxiety, and depression are our collective national future. Perhaps in that discomforting fact lies one long, hard road back to a resurgent church. If people feel betrayed, not only by organized religion, but the government and even society, they're going to be looking for something that can provide them that sense of belonging, of meaning in an era of distemper. This is and can be the church. Paul, you want to finish it up there? Then we'll make some comments in the next segment. Yeah, sure. Those who themselves have determined to deny Christ and his church will prove difficult to coax back. But their children and their children children will reap the terrible fruits of a society with no grounding or sense of hope. They will not feel the visceral loathing nonverts hold toward Catholicism. They will simply want to love and be loved, to feast on something more weighty than their empty platitudes about diversity, tolerance, and realizing your true self. That's where the faithful come in. We we must do our best to keep the heart to the fan, uh, to, to fan the flames of our faith with our friends wander in the wilderness. Oh, excuse me. While our friends wander in the wilderness, we must be long suffering in prayer, humble and gracious in our treatment of one another and strong in our commitment to the ancient teachings of Christ and the church. We must as much as possible, present a strong united front of faith that overlooks minor offenses and grievances in favor of our survival. We'll in other right, words, we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888. 888- Five two six two one five one. Soul Patrol, Jesus nine one one two man car. Here's a, a, a something that many people have probably never thought about. That's very interesting. In the book of Revelation, chapter twelve. Let me look at what verse it is. It says that one um, verse uh, where it talks about one third of. Verse four, his tail, that's the devil's tail, the dragon, swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to the earth. The stars, these are angels, cast them down. In other words, they rebelled from God. God expelled them down to planet earth. A third of them, it says. Uh, So these angels are now called fallen angels. Now, here's something interesting. One of the reasons that angels hate the human person so much is because they know, according they know that the, the, the elect, they're the ones that are going to replace those angels and sit on their thrones. So they're saying, I can't believe these, these uh, meat sacks, these pieces of baloney called human beings of such an inferior nature as, as us angels. They're going to take our thrones in heaven before God, the thrones that we used to occupy. This is why there's an intense hatred Demons intensely hate human beings because they know that human beings are going to occupy the thrones that were occupied by those angels that were thrown out by by the by the Lord in in the book of Revelation chapter 12 verse 5. 
In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, it says this. This is eschatology here. It talks about the end of the world. It says, In the whole land, says the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish. Notice. Two-thirds shall be cut off and perish. And one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is my God. Zechariah here is talking about Israel, but this is an eschatological verse that talks about the end of time as well. It has a double meaning. It says, two-thirds of the people shall perish, one-third shall be saved. Well, this is consistent with our Lord's word that uh, many are called, but few are chosen. Those, those third that are saved, according to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, those are the third that will occupy the seats of the third of the angels that were cast out of heaven, now called demons. And so... Uh, the, the church has always taught that the, sta- the saints will occupy the thrones of the fallen angels. Well, here it is. It's in Zechariah 13, 8, 9. A third of the elect will occupy the, 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 uh, the seats or the thrones of those angels that are now roaming planet Earth called demons. Paul, and, mm. and the point is, the point that I'm making is make sure you're one of those that gets to occupy the throne. Make sure you're one of them. How? Live in a state of grace. Zechariah told us we're going to be refined through fire, the elect. We're going to be persecuted. This is where we're at right now. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. it's not going to get any better. The church is going through her passion. I know years ago in the days when Fulton Archbishop Sheen was the number one rated uh, TV host. Can you believe that? You know, Catholic Notre Dame football was all over television. Catholic schools and parishes were opening up everywhere. You know, religious orders were booming. Vocations were booming. You got Catholic cultural icons. They they were all over the movie landscape, like, you know, Bob Hope and Bean Crosby and Danny Thomas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, those, and those Academy Award movies, The Song of Bernadette, A Man for All Seasons. Uh, we even the had a... Bells of St. Mary's. <laughs> yes. The, the, the fact yeah. is... Yeah, there was, there was, I would say from 1945 to about 1960, a year before I was born, that was the kind of the golden age for the Catholic Church here in America. Uh, Again, uh, 75% of Catholics, three out of four Catholics went to Mass each Sunday. But today, today, we're we're going, right now, Paul, we're going through the passion of the Christ, the churches. What happened to Christ 2,000 years ago on the streets of Jerusalem, uh, which I'll be at next week, is exactly what the church is going through right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you just described, yes, uh, you know, when you know the the Catholic Church in America, with the multitudes, it reminds me, you know, you know, uh, Palm Sunday, they wanted to, you know, they wanted to crown Christ King. But now as we move into the passion, we, we know what happens. They, they, you know, they scatter, you know. And so as the church, the mystical body of Christ, you know, um, you know, essentially follows the same trajectory as Christ himself. 
we're, you know, we're falling on tough times right now. Uh, uh, Christ was betrayed with a kiss by one of his own. Uh, many of us feel like we're being betrayed right now by many, you know, of those who should be uh, leading us in the faith uh, to preserve what was passed on. Uh, they want to take us in a new direction. Uh, they have their own ideas. Uh, well, um, I don't know what to say about all that, but uh, I can't go beyond what I know to be true. Uh, and that was, and that would be the perennial teachings of the faith. Uh, I have found in, in just when I returned back to the Catholic faith, uh, the things that I read, uh, you know, from, you know, uh, Catholics that were written, uh, really, you know, uh, you know, every, anything prior to 1960, uh, you know, for, I can't really say that because uh, there were modernists out there, but the things that I read were completely, uh, you know, focused on the preservation of the faith once given to the saints. And the stuff is just gold. It's beautiful. It, it, there's nothing more. Uh, 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 it's just, I can't even put it into words. And then what, within a generation, you see what the church has become. It's, it's, it, it saddens me. You know, when I go out there and I evangelize people and I'm telling them all these Catholic truths, even Protestants, and they're like, wow, I never heard that. I never heard that. And then you look at what's going on in the church. The church right now is the biggest impediment to conversion. Mm-hmm. Yep. As, yeah. as You're right, Paul. But, but you know, one of the things that helps me continue to sharing and sharing the faith is I'm winning people. Remember, let's keep things in perspective. When I was baptized... Yeah. As a baby, I was baptized in a, into Christ. I wasn't yes. pa- baptized into Pope Francis or Pope John Paul II or Pope Benedict or any pope. I wasn't baptized into yeah. a cardinal or a bishop or my priest. I was baptized Amen. into Christ. Romans eleven thirty six says, "In in Him we live and move." In oh, Acts chapter nineteen, in Him we live and move and have our being. In Him and who? In Jesus. Not I'm not. I don't live and move and have my being in a pope. Or a bishop or a cardinal or a priest. I have it in Jesus. When the Bible Amen. says in Romans eleven thirty six, through him, with him, and in him. Through who? Through who? Through a pope? No. Through Jesus, with Jesus, and in Jesus. That's what, Paul, that's what keeps my fires burning. Is I'm baptized Amen. into Christ. I am part of the body of Christ. I am his and he is mine. And when I die, I will be judged by Christ, not by a pope. And when I die, hope, you know, praise, hope, you know, with, with, I say this with hope, I will spend all eternity with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, God and King. And, and the fact is, Paul, as Catholics, Christ, Catholicism is Christ centered. It's Christ centered. The, the tragedy of our time is that those who still believe in, in, in honesty, they lack this fire and conviction. And those who believe in evil and dishonesty, they're full of passion and conviction. As Catholics, we meet, we got to continue to trust God. He's on the throne still. Pray your rosary every day. Go to Mass as often as possible. This is a great time to be a Catholic Christian. We know that we're on the winning side. We know how this story ends. God is not dead. Nietzsche's dead. Heck, God's not even tired. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we know that in the end... We have the certainty that truth will triumph over lies. That's Christ. Light will triumph over darkness. That's Christ. And good will triumph over evil. That's Christ. So stand firm, 
Catholics and rush to the battle lines with Jesus in your heart, with a rosary in one hand and a Bible in your other hand, no matter what happens in this culture of death, no matter how this battle turns out, we know that Jesus Christ wins this war because he's a king. And the battle cry that should burn in our heart is Viva Cristo Rey. He is our hope. There is no other. Hey, Jess, tell yeah. us what you really think. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something, Jess. Uh, you bring a smile to my face because you're absolutely 100% correct. Even one with God is a majority, and the light always shines brightest in the darkest. So uh, like you said, just bring it on. Why? Because, uh, hey, we're like our Lord, hey, no problem. You know, we're like sheep led to the slaughter. Why? Because we know that the greatest form of love is that we lay down our lives. And if we lay down our lives for our faith, for our Lord, then there could be no greater uh, 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 sign of our love for him. So, yeah, um, the things that uh, the world, uh, you know, as they try to persecute us, as they try to, um, uh, you know, rip us away from our faith, you know, um, in reality, those are the things that make us stronger in our faith. So, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's encouraging. And yeah, and re- remember, uh, remember as Catholics, what's the goal of the Catholic faith? We're all called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. As, yeah. as, the, as the first pope says in Acts 240, he says, set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Acts chapter 240. Yeah. Why did the pope say that? Pope Peter, why? Because we're all called to be saints. You weren't made to fit into this world. You were born to stand out. Remember, as Catholics, let's continue to pursue, strive for holiness. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And also, Paul and myself, we promise we will continue every single week here to speak the truth to power and, and, and live without fear. Live without fear. Remember, St. Padre Pio says, pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful and will hear your prayer. Paul, final thoughts? Yeah, Jess, uh, keep your eyes on the Lord, keep praying the rosary, and know that the final victory belongs to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Blessed Mother. Amen. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics. Stick around. You don't want to miss what's up next. As for me and Paul, we are EOW. End of watch. We'll see you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith.